This program is brought to you by Abiding Above Ministries. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Romans chapter 12. I want to look at 13 verses, and the title of this message is Genuine Humility. Genuine Humility. Something that marks a child of God that's mature in his faith is humility. Now, many times when you use the word humility, you think of someone who has a poor self-esteem. You think of someone who walks around, their head's down. You say, well, that's a humble man. Oh, not necessarily. A lot of times people who look down at the ground, they can't look at you in the eye. They're full of pride is what they are, but they feel inadequate. So it has nothing to do with a spirituality. It has nothing to do with genuine humility. And then on the other side of that uh, equation, you see some people who work hard at trying to have the appearance of being humble by the way they hold their hands. Uh, you see that uh, with the Pope over in Rome. He tries to carry himself and gesture in ways that portrays humility. That's not humility either, because that is posturing is what that is. True, genuine humility, I can tell you what it is. It is Jesus. Jesus was the only one that was truly humble. It was not something he studied. It was not something he practiced. It was not something he postured. He was humble inside, and it showed through his body language. He was real. And so you say, well, I know I need to be a humble man. I want to tell you something. If you'll listen to this message, apply what you're going to learn to your life, God will bless you. You see, God opposes a proud man, but he gives grace to the humble. If you're genuinely humble, that means you're led by the Holy Spirit. God will open doors you never dreamed possible. But if you're very prideful, you're on your way down. God loves you, but he will work against you if you're prideful. And so with that in mind, I want us to look today at this subject, genuine humility, Romans chapter 12, 1 through 13. And all through this message, I want you to remember this. How we think determines what we do, determines how we feel. Keep that in mind. So the first point I'd like to make if you're taking notes is the nature of humility. Romans 12, 3. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. In verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So, when you think of children of God, Christians, Christ followers, when you think of them, they are neither to think of themselves too much or too little. We are to think about ourselves according to God's Word. 
We are to have the mind of Christ about ourselves. And we must recognize that God lives in us by the Holy Spirit, and he has given us his mind and his wisdom. In other words, you said, Chris, true humility is Jesus Christ. Correct. And he lives inside of his children. So when we choose to let go and let God, true humility comes through us by the life of God within us. Now, when you think of the nature of humility, what you see is a self-approval among humans. Again, what did he say in verse 3 of Romans 12? For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Now, in our secular education nowadays, in a lot of speeches that people might make, they put all the emphasis on, you can be a better you. You can do it. Don't give up. And you know what? It is true. You shouldn't give up. But you need to be thinking, with the power of the Holy Spirit in me, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But if the focus is only, I can change. I can do. I can be. Well, you know what I is, don't you? I is the middle letter of sin. And you know what? That reminds you of Lucifer in heaven. He said, I will ascend to be like the Most High God. And so when we think of genuine humility, when you think of growing in Christ, we must remember that genuine humility is not something that a human can do. It is something that is done in and through you by the Holy Spirit. You see, sometimes there are people that we call extroverts. They're very prideful people. They live to show off. They love to hear their names called in a public gathering. This sort of a person tries hard to convince himself, God and others, that I am more serious about God and the Christian life than others. So some people are more extroverted. There is a lot of self-approval. But then some people have a poor self-esteem. There is a lot of self-disapproval. This person we sometimes mistake as being humble, but they are also prideful. It can be an inverted form of pride. We sometimes call these people introverts. And so there's the extrovert and the introvert. There needs to be a balance, not self-approval, not disapproval, but sound judgment based balanced thinking that comes from the mind of Christ and through the Holy Spirit in the believer. So genuine humility has to involve self-surrender. You have to say it's no longer I, but it's Christ. It is to think so as to have sound judgment. That's what he said in verse 3 of Romans 12. This is a yielded life, a life yielded to the control of the Holy Spirit. Remember, you're the glove, he's the hand. Don't get it backwards. Sound judgment means to be clear thinking, to put a moderate estimate upon oneself. So this secular world of ours will tell you basically that you are God, get up and walk in it. But the Bible says that you're not God. I'm not God. There's only one God, but he can live inside of a human being. If that human being has put their trust right where God has put their sin on Jesus and ask him to come into the heart, he comes in. That doesn't make you deity, but it does mean that deity lives in you. 
and you're to live the rest of your life not controlled by alcohol or drugs, but controlled by the eternal Holy Spirit who never wears off. So we see that true humility is Christ replacing what we were for what he is, the self-life exchange for the Christ life. Now, what does genuine humility look like? You say, if a person's genuinely humble, what do they look like? Well, you see this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Listen to what Paul says here. He said, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. What attitude was in Christ Jesus, his 33 years on this earth? What was it? Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus was sinless, but he took our sin upon him and he willingly went to the cross and he gave his life and he died. He did that though he was perfect and he was God. He did that because he was humble and he did that because he loves. And what greater expression of love than this, that a man lay down his life for others. And that's what he did. It was a sacrificial agape love. Therefore, he was a humble man. He was both God and man. And that you see is self-sacrifice. And that is a genuine characteristic of the indwelling life of Christ and genuine humility. So, number one, that's the nature of humility. Number two, what's the character of humility? What's the character of humility? James chapter 4, verse 6 says this, God is opposed to the proud. You say, what does that mean? God works against a proud person. He loves you. He doesn't want you to stay where you are. But if you're full of pride, God lovingly works against you until you surrender control to him. He's not angry because he's not surprised. He's lovingly holding you until you come to the end of yourself. My friend, listen, pride will bring you down every single time. Don't do it. James chapter 4, verse 10 Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. You see, if you exalt yourself, you're much like Satan in heaven, who exalted himself, and he influenced a third of the angels to follow him out of heaven, to come to this earth, to confuse all of us. He's still confusing mankind this very day, election day. People are confused, all because of the work of Satan and his demons, swirling around all through every area of the United States of America and the whole world. So if you're prideful, God lovingly will oppose you and work against you. So that is character of humility. It involves a oneness in the body of Christ. In other words, true humility, if a man's walking or a woman's walking in true humility, that's being controlled by the Holy Spirit, 
it affects the body of Christ. So I don't know where you might attend church. If you're not attending one, I would encourage you to find one that teaches the Bible. And I would not attend the church if I did not see humility in the pastor. I would go and look for another church. Look for genuine humility in a pastor or keep on looking. Why? Because God opposes the proud. How would you like to serve in a church of a proud pastor knowing that God opposes the proud? You don't want to be a part of that. If you don't see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, self-control in the pastor of the church, you don't have to say anything. Just keep on looking. So, when you think of this character of humility, it involves a oneness in the body of Christ. Remember, Christ is the head, and all those who believed in what Christ has done on the cross and received him, they make up the body of Christ. Romans 12, 4 and 5 says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. So what he's saying is this. If you're a child of God, you're in Christ, Christ is in you. When you're surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ, you can know this. They're in Christ, Christ is in them. And so together, collectively, we're all in Christ, and Christ is in us together. That makes up the body of Christ. And so, if we have truly been born again... We have the mind of Christ, and this should be seen in all of the members in a local church. There is unity because we are all one in Christ. This does not mean uniformity. This doesn't mean that we're cookie-cutter Christians. you got to act like me. I've got to act like you. we got to dress alike, walk alike, talk alike. Listen, that's not of the Lord. We're unique, each one of us. God never makes duplicates. He only makes originals. And so, in the body of Christ, we don't lose our individuality. We don't lose our uniqueness. We don't have to dress, walk, talk, act like everybody around us. We can be ourselves controlled by the Spirit of God. That is true unity and not legalism and uniformity. Legalism has destroyed our churches across America, probably more specifically in our southern states where I grew up. Legalism is probably the greatest evil that we have in our local churches. Not contemporary music, but legalism from long ago, from people who've yet to be born again, but they never miss church. They're always hearing the rightly divided word of God, but they never believe. It is a Southern culture mentality that's legalistic, and it's hurting our young families and children because the people are determined that you will become like us and we will not become like you, so get out of our church. That's happening all across the United States, and that's why young families are starting new churches and moving away from that old time, and I use the word religion because that's just what it is. It's just a religion. The Pharisees were known as being religious, But the Pharisees were lost, and Jesus said, you're whited sepulchers. And what's so sad is when you've grown up in that, you just think that you're born again, but you're not. So if you're listening to this message, 
I love you, so listen, you must be born again. Doing the same thing the same way forever and ever does not mean you're a child of God. But I want to tell you, God loves you. It's not too late. You can be born again. Turn away from your traditionalism and turn your hearts and your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, letting the Holy Spirit reign and rule in your life. And you can drop a lot of these forms that are hurting yourself and other people. And so I remember when Cliff Barrows, who was the music director for Billy Graham and his crusades all those years, he's my wife's uncle. I remember when he performed our wedding uh, at Bellevue Baptist Church, I remember he uh, basically did the unity candle at our wedding, and basically he was describing the unity candle as the fact that we become one flesh, but he said you do not lose your individuality. In other words, you're still unique creations of God. You're both indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. You are not going to to become one in such a way that you don't know who you are anymore. You're still wonderful you, created by God, carried along by the Holy Spirit, though you're one in flesh. And so, listen to how Paul describes the body of Christ in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 15 through 22. He says, if the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body, and if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. So you say, what are you saying? I'm saying God's children are in the body of Christ, and we need one another. What I can do, you might not be able to. What you can do, I might not be able to. But according to the Word of God and with this illustration of the physical body, we all need one another. Christ is the head. Can you imagine what your body would do without the brain? It would do nothing. Without the brain, you can't even breathe, my friend. Listen, without Christ, we can do nothing. And so true, genuine humility when we are walking, controlled by God, there is true, genuine humility, and it makes things positive wherever we go. Now, not only the fact that um, it involves a oneness in the body of Christ, but it involves a diversity in spiritual gifts. This is a little bit complicated. But do you know, if you are a child of God here today, that God has given you a gift? You may have the gift of prophecy. That doesn't mean you can foretell the future, but it means... You have a strong desire to tell people what the Bible says, forth-telling. You may have the gift of ministry or serving. That means I don't have to get up and preach a sermon. I just want to get the chairs ready and the tables ready for lunch afterwards. You may not have the gift of teaching. The person who has the gift of teaching, they dig deeper into the Word. They study the languages, defining the very fine points of Scripture. Not everybody's a teacher. 
But there's something you can do. And then there's exhortation. That is a person with the gift of encouraging. That is encouraging and challenging. Not so much an appeal to the mind, but to the heart and to the will. And then there's giving. You say, well, I don't have, I, I don't have the gift of giving because I don't have anything to give. Oh, yes, you do. A person with the gift of giving does not have to be rich. They may give someone an extra napkin in their pocket. They just feel this sense of, I must give this to you, this napkin. Or it could be, you can have the rest of my coat. Now, back in the old days, we did that, but nowadays, nobody would do it. Back when I was coming along, I might share a coat with my brother. He drinks half, and I drink the other half, and I always got less, it seems like I noticed. And then there's a gift of administration or ruling, or some people may call it organizing. Some people say, I don't want to teach. I don't want to preach. I don't want to serve. I don't want to do anything. I want to stand and make sure everything is happening just right. They have the gift of organizing. They can walk into a room totally disorganized, and in their mind, they see it already organized, and they can tell everybody what to do to get it organized. It is a gift. Some of you have that gift. You may not be using it, The sooner you start using your gift, the happier you'll be. It's the way God made us. And then there's the gift of mercy. Some people, care of the sick, the poor, and the discouraged, they will stop and help anybody, anytime, anywhere. They just can't help themselves from showing mercy. And so, if you're a child of God, you have that in you. But you have to be controlled by the Holy Spirit for that to come out of you to other people. But it also involves fellowship with one another. What we're talking about is the nature of genuine humility and the character of genuine humility. What does it look like? What does it act like? It involves fellowship with one another. Romans 12, 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Just like you can be out of fellowship with God, you can also be out of fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't know of anybody that hasn't experienced this one or a few times in their Christian life up to this point. But sometimes people will come into your life and they will betray you. They'll work against you for many odd and different reasons. We are supposed to immediately forgive them and love them in agape love, and keep on moving forward, leading people to Christ, and making multiplying disciple makers. You just keep moving forward, because if you think that's not going to happen, more than likely you're living isolated. I told a friend of mine one time, uh, he says, I- I've never really had any problems with any brothers and sisters in Christ. I've never had any conflict. And I said, well, let me ask you one question. He said, what's that? I said, have you ever let out and tried to accomplish something for the Lord Jesus Christ in the area of evangelism and disciple making? And he said, no, I've really, I've never let out in anything. That's the reason you've never had a conflict. My friend, if you stand up and walk in the spirit and do as God's leading you to do, at some point as you're leading or as you're a part of organizing, trying to do evangelism and leading people to Christ and growing them up, you're going to have conflict even with your brothers and sisters of Christ. The right thing to know before it happens, how am I going to respond when that day comes? And this is how you do it. You simply forgive, love them in agape love, and move on. Sometimes it's better not to really be around them 
but it's a sin to reject them. But there are wise ways to not have to be around troubled people in the body of Christ. And you can always pray for them and want the very best for them. And so love is to be without hypocrisy. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, listen, forgiving each other. And he's talking to believers at the church of Ephesus. This is long before we were born. He said, be kind to one another. In other words, they weren't being kind. He said, be tenderhearted. In other words, they weren't being tenderhearted. Forgive one another. In other words, they weren't forgiving each other. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. To choose to not love, forgive, and move on in the Lord's work when people have betrayed you and worked against you. My friend, to not forgive them immediately is putting yourself above God. God has forgiven you. You have no choice but to immediately forgive them. But I encourage you, the key is keep moving forward. Don't settle down with yesterday's betrayal. Keep loving them. Pray for them as they come to your mind. Keep leading people to Christ, growing them up. Because listen, bodily, we're expiring every single day. One day we're going to be with all brothers and sisters in Christ in heaven. The good thing is this. There's going to be no more sin, no more betrayal in heaven because the former things will have passed away. So what matter in eternity, the slight awkwardness of time. And so when we are walking in the spirit, we are walking together in oneness with Christ. And this is what you see. Romans 12, 10 through 13 says, be devoted to one another. In brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. My friend, all those are signs, characteristics that the nature of genuine humility, which is in the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in your human spirit being unleashed in you to do what the Spirit wants to do in and through you as He's gifted you. Everything just described in Romans chapter 12, verses 10 and 13 is the characteristics that come out of a man, woman, boy or girl who's being carried along by the Holy Spirit, what you see in them, that woman, that man, that boy, that girl, is genuinely humble. Not poor self-esteem. Not posturing, trying to have the appearance of humility. But genuinely walking under the power and control of Mr. Humility himself, the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, having unhindered way in the human spirit, affecting the soul, which is where the mind, the will, and the emotions are, and even coming through their members, which is their physical body. So the answer to all of this is this. Each member yielding to the Holy Spirit inside of them, then you will see genuine humility as brothers and sisters in Christ. You say, well, what's that have to do with me? In the situation I find myself today, listen, if you will let God control you by the Holy Spirit and not a substance, I'm telling you, 
People are going to be attracted to you and give you opportunity. But if you walk about prideful and under the control of a substance, people may love you, but they're afraid to bring you into their life because they're afraid that you will mess it up. You say, well, what am I going to do? Let go and let God. The sooner you do it, everything changes. Good night. It's like springtime. Everything changes when you say, it's no longer I, but Christ. I'll only be controlled by one thing. It's the Holy Spirit of God. People will move towards you. People will give you opportunity. People will want to be with you. And you will say this, I wished I had done that long ago. And when you drive by a liquor store in your new car, you'll look over there, roll down your window and spit at it. Because you know it's doing one thing only. It is a substitute for the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that store, that building, those people are pulling down God's children all over this world. Amen? You've been listening to Abiding Above Ministries with Chris Hodges. If you would like Chris to speak at your church or event, please go to our website, abidingabove.org. God bless you and make you a blessing.